You know I don't count that high. That's not fair. I know, but it's still fun to make you try. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we are going to let our guest, Mr. Joshua Paul Matier, Matier, I butchered it. He told us before the show, I promise. But uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself to you, dear listener, dear viewer. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Joshua Palmatier, and I am an epic fantasy writer with the uh, Daw Books. Uh, but I'm here today to talk about uh, my role as the founder of Small Press uh, Zombies Need Brains. Uh, we're a small press, and we publish uh, science fiction and fantasy themed anthologies. All of them are uh, funded through Kickstarters. So, uh, so we've managed to do 18 so far, and I think we're trying Ooh. to fund uh, 19, 20, and 21. So, uh, so that's what I'm here to chat about today. That's a lot of Kickstarters for anthologies. Do you hold the record? Um, well, we started off one at a time, uh, but then after the first couple, we, we've been doing three at a time. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we actually first found them. Uh, I found him when he reached out through Seska and said, hey, can we talk about my Kickstarter? And I said, sure. But uh, Doc, what bar did you meet him at? I met him at the best one called Dragon Con. Tiny itsy bitsy convention that you go to every year. Your math skills suck, Jr. Two, three hundred people, right? Well, this year it will be at fifty percent capacity. So we are taping this just before Dragon Con. So if I look tired, well, that's why. <laughs> so fifty percent capacity means fifty instead of a hundred. No, it means forty-two thousand. That's a that's a, not a real number. That's like a bird. It's not real. They're all government conspiracies. It's like the amount of ammo you wish you owned. Okay, that's infinite. I don't think they have that as a number yet. <laughs> well, this is the first year that DragonCon has ever had to work with an attendance cap. So that's some so we got that one and going on. So. Are you still taking over like a dozen hotels? As many as the letters. So how <laughs> many people didn't buy uh tickets to DragonCon this year? They just booked the hotel so they could go to the bar with you guys. Uh I have no idea. Everybody tends to buy a ticket. Why would you go and not go buy a ticket? Well, what if they were like the 51st thousandth person and the tickets were sold out? Well, I don't, this year that might be a case, but we don't normally sell out because there is no attendance cap in a normal year. And we even let the football players, what football fans come and watch? What football fans? Is this like a sport? You mean like soccer? Sport, I'm told. You mean like soccer where they kick the ball around with their foot? That there's was soccer that was, and there's football. And I was just trying to make fun. Of, I make fun of our British fans' beer, so I'm trying to be, do one for them. Like, like give them a little bit of scraps off the table. Tim swears beer is supposed to be drank warm, but Tim Tim um, okay. Taylor is wrong. Their, table, their cooking is not that great. Well, why do you think I'm throwing it on the floor for him? Nobody else will eat like it. Haggis? This is true. <laughs> I have tried haggis. It's disgusting. <laughs> okay. So now that we've uh, entertained Joshua with our bickering, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly, my dear? Well, I would have to say that it's Star Trek, right? Yes. Discover, discover Starfleet. <laughs> See, I actually knew the wow. answer already because you have Romulan wine. <laughs> yes. I mean, I like them all, but but I probably tend to tend more towards Star Trek than uh, Star Wars or Firefly. So, so what is this Romulan wine thing she mentions? Well, there, there, there's, there's uh, a bunch of uh, drinks, I guess you could say, that they've created for the Star Trek universe, and then they're actually creating real um, uh, alcohol now. Uh, for example, this is empty, so that shows you uh, how much of it I've had. But this is James T. Kirk straight bourbon whiskey. Um, but notice it's all gone. <laughs> I think that was good. It was very good. Yes, I enjoyed it. Uh, and then I have a bunch of the other whiskeys and stuff, but I, I don't think they've made an actual Romulan wine yet. Uh, ah. There's a there's a, a a wine from uh, 
Chateau Picard. I have that, a red wine from that and stuff. So, and and they originally made a vodka. I'm much more of a vodka drinker. Um, and, and they called it 10 Forward uh, Vodka. And uh, I haven't actually opened that up. And I've been told that that one is now actually worth something. Oh. If, you, if you have an unopened bottle of that. Uh, so, uh, so I might, you know, be keeping that around a little bit longer. See how, uh, how much it uh, accrue. <laughs> So does Star Trek have its own Earl Grey line now, given Jean-Luc Picard's penchant for it? They should. I don't know if they actually do. Because I, know, <laughs> I know the year he came to Dragon Con, the Caribou Coffee did a Earl Grey latte. I don't know yeah, I'm sure there's themed drinks out there, yeah. But an official line of Earl Grey, Star Trek Earl Grey, I, I don't, I've not heard of that. They're, they're leaving money on the table. I drink tea. All right. <laughs> okay, so, but we do sci-fi and fantasy. So, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or Potterverse? Um, I probably have to say Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I Lord of the Rings for that. Um, I mean, I, I've I've read them all. <laughs> well, as far into Game of Thrones as you can read at this moment, anyway. Um, I know. Poor guy must be in hiding because he challenged the fans to lock him up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah I, I, some of his fans just might do it. Yeah, he, he needs to come out with the with the end of that series um, because, of course, the the TV series ending was not good. You know that what the TV series really was uh, wait. beta testing it. No, oh, they were beta testing it. Uh, I'm really sure they were beta testing it for the book readers. So, or for George R. R. Martin, were they beta beta testing for him? And now he knows that that ending sucks, and so he's got to come up with something else. <laughs> Never works. I mean, he got paid either way, right? Oh yeah, he certainly got paid. <laughs> so, which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Um. Oh, that one's actually tough because. Uh, I originally was uh, only reading mysteries. Um, this is like when I was 12 or something like that. I was only reading mysteries. And uh, my mom, I told my mom, I was reading Mary Norton. And I told my mom to pick up the another Norton book when she went to the library. And she picked up Andre Norton, not Mary Norton. And so, you know, I read that. And at that point, all the mysteries got dumped. <laughs> <laughs> and it became only uh, fantasy and sci-fi uh, by Andre Norton. I mean, I mean, it literally read only her for a very long time. But I can't say it was a specific sci-fi that I was reading or fantasy I was reading. because That's if, fair. If it had Andre Norton on the title, I was reading it. And you know what? I approve of your taste. I literally read the library and every library connected to my library uh, out of uh, Andre Norton books. And, and then I finally said, okay, there's got to be some other other things out there that are sci-fi fantasy. <laughs> so, so did you read Hardy Boys before you switched over, those kinds of mystery books? I read Hardy Boys, yep. And, and actually, I kind of got tired of the Hardy Boys, which is why I started moving on to other people like Mary Norton uh, and whatnot. And... Uh, so yeah, it, I was definitely hardcore mystery before I before I was introduced to sci-fi and fantasy. So when you read the mysteries, were you one of those guys that checked the ending first, or did you let yourself be surprised? Oh no, I, I always let myself be surprised. I, I I tried to figure everything out on the way, and uh, and and if you read the ending, that you, you're giving it all away. And stuff. So, uh, so no, I, I was the one that was always trying to figure it out as I went along, and uh, and got disappointed when I was wrong, or you know, sometimes surprised when I was wrong at the. And I will say, occasionally disgusted when I was wrong because how whatever the twist was, I was just like, that's too stupid to live. Um, it, it, that that twist didn't work. <laughs> Fair. So, Doc, were you one of these ones who cheats and reads the ending first of a book, or do you... No. You do not read the ending first. That takes away the enjoyment. The journey is the enjoyment, not the ending. Whatever. You can do math. 
if you if, if you do if you if you know the ending that ruins the journey. See. Okay. Well, I, I we will agree to disagree, and we will move on. So you said that you are uh, you you couldn't pinpoint your first memory with reading books as far as um, sci-fi or fantasy. But what about for other venues like TV, video, or board games, video games, that sort of thing? Well, for for TV, um, I would say definitely sci-fi because uh, I was introduced to like the Star Trek series. Uh, obviously not when they originally played the original series, uh, but uh, uh, my dad used to watch them. Um, and so uh, so I got introduced to the sci-fi in terms of TV pretty early on. Um, and then of course, Next Generation came on and I got uh, was all into that and whatnot. And uh, you know, X-Files and Fringe and, and whatnot. So my, my TV tends a little bit more toward the sci-fi uh, rather than the fantasy. Um, in terms of board games, I don't know if I would say that I would call it sci-fi or fantasy. I, I like like Ticket to Ride, um, and uh, let me see what, what Ticket to Ride's by far my favorite. Um, I have probably owned every version of Ticket to Ride there is. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I've played like San Juan, and I've played. Um, uh, Catan and, and and whatnot, but uh, but if I have a choice, I pretty much always gravitate back toward uh, Ticket to Ride. So it's not really sci-fi or fantasy, I guess. I was told that there should be a subtitle uh, for Catan that is Destroyer of Family because of the uh, the grievances it can create in the playing. Of it. <laughs> it, it's compared to Munchkin. It's what to Munchkin. Nothing compared to Munchkin. Yeah, I've heard horror stories from you, um, but maybe that's evil. I don't know. Maybe there's something evil in small DNA. <laughs> All right. So, what is it about speculative fiction that you love? Um, I just like uh, uh, the fact that you can play in a different world and still, at the same time, kind of make a little like uh, a, a commentary about our own world. Um, and, and you're not singling out anybody or any, any culture in particular or any, you know, any mindset in particular, um, because you're, you're, you're in a different world. And, uh, so you can make your point in a slightly different way. Um, and I also like just the fact that I like the fact that you can create, um, so you can do something absolutely totally different than our world so that's probably why i write mostly fantasy rather than science fiction um the, the fantasy i like creating the world i like creating the magic system and i like visualizing how people are actually living in this world um and so ju just the the entire act of creation uh, uh, uh creating a totally different world is, is what draws me in it sparks my imagination so when you read in a world like that that draws you in, do you ever imagine yourself in the stories? Oh, of course. I think everybody does. I mean, you're, you're, you, I think almost everybody ends up projecting themselves onto the characters that are in the story. Um, so, you know, that's why there's characters you fall in love with because, because they're probably a little bit like you. And so you can place yourself in their position and, uh, and then you're then basically you're living in that particular world. Um, and I know I do that when I'm writing. I mean, I'm, I put myself into the, the character's mind space or whatever while I'm writing. And, uh, and that's how I end up visualizing the world because I'm, I don't plot anything out. I'm, I'm almost a completely total pantser um, so I'm I'm living the character's life as they live it, and uh, and so yeah, I, I think everybody does that to some extent. Fair enough. Um, so how did your love of speculative fiction translate into you writing stories in that space? Um, well, <laughs> it came about in eighth grade. Uh, <laughs> Basically, what happened is that is I was reading a lot of fantasy and whatnot in eighth grade, and then um, the fantasy and, and sci-fi. 
uh, but mostly fantasy by that point. And, uh, you know, in English class, they're usually pretty boring. They, they usually say, you know, um, write the, the three paragraph essay and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, in eighth grade, I happened to have this uh, really cool English teacher. Her name was Miss Zeloff. And uh, one day she said, I want you guys to write a 500 word uh, short story that's uh, like a Twilight Zone episode. Um, and I was like, holy crap, you know, like this is, this is cool. And and so I wrote a I wrote a Twilight Zone short story. It was a cheap ripoff of Atlantis, uh, except that I introduced uh, some some sci-fi elements to it uh, rather than a, uh, making it totally fantasy oriented. And um, and at the time, I thought 500 words was like oh, oh you know there's no way I'm going to get 500 words in this story. But uh, but I managed it, and she wrote at the top. Um, you know, uh, that this was good and I should write more. And I was like the first, that was the light bulb moment for me. It was the first time uh, I really sat back and said to myself, there's somebody writing all of these stories that I'm enjoying. Um, and, and it hit me that why can't that be me? And so that, that, that's when I literally started sitting down and saying, okay, let's start writing stuff. And uh, so I started writing more I started the, the stupid little, um, all of my friends and I get transported to a, you know, another world and we're trying to live in the other world. And I wrote that juvenilia story. And, uh, but I started writing short stories too. And like at the time, the Magic and Ithkar uh, anthologies were being put out by uh, Andre Norton. And uh, so I wrote a couple stories for those. Um, and I actually sent them in. <laughs> but of course, you know, my writing sucked at that point because I was in like 10th grade by that point. And, uh, and uh, of course, none of them got accepted. But I was actually writing and sending stuff out uh, at that point. And uh, that's so what's what was that? That's brave. <laughs> yeah. Basically, from that point on, I, I've been writing. Uh, there was a small break. Uh, when I first went to college um, because I was adjusting to the whole college experience and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it, 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 I, I couldn't stay away from it. Um, and I started uh, back writing and I asked myself at that point, am I doing this just for kicks, just for you know my own entertainment or am I actually really seriously trying to get published? And uh, decided at that point that I really seriously wanted to get published. And uh, so, so I started treating it much more seriously when I hit college. Um, so yeah, fun, fun. Did you ever reach back out to that teacher who said maybe um, you should write some more and let her know you did? Um, I didn't reach out to her personally. Uh, like I, have, I don't even know, I'm assuming she's not even alive anymore. Um, I didn't reach out to her personally, uh, but I did uh, put stuff out there to try to let her know. Like I put stuff out like way back when, when we were doing like live journal and stuff like that. I, I was posting things on live journal and, and trying to acknowledge her um, for basically putting that spark in me. And, uh, and so I hope, I pray that, you know, somehow I got back to her. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I never actually got back to her, uh, in touch with her personally, which is unfortunate. You know, that's awesome though. I'm sure, um, I'm sure other teachers probably picked up on it though when reading it. And that's, it's always nice to know that that influence does exist still and lingers. But are there any other formidable life experiences that influenced how that and shaped you as a storyteller? Um, probably the biggest one is uh, my dad's death. <laughs> um, it, uh, it he he died when I was eighteen, so I was basically just starting out in college, and um, it it. it impacted me in a lot of ways uh, because he died when he was only 40 and you know i was eight, 18 and uh 
it, it kind of instilled in me this idea that, oh, wait, we don't necessarily have a lot of time. Um, and so that's kind of when the moment that uh, in college where I said, if I really want to write, I need to start writing um, because I might not have, I, I kind of been letting it slide. And uh, I realized I might not have time to do the writing that I wanted to do. And uh, basically I was convinced uh, that I was gonna also die at 40. And, and so I, I started doing a lot of the stuff that I'd been putting off at that point. And writing was the, the big thing that I'd been putting off. Um, just because, you know, you get to college and, and things get crazy for a little while until for <laughs> everything all out. And uh, and so, yeah, that that is probably the biggest thing that impacted me. Um, I mean, I had some uh, minor uh, minor things later on, like, you know, I, um, I met uh, Kate Elliott at a signing at a bookstore where I work. I was working at the bookstore at the time. And uh, so she impacted uh, my writing quite a bit because uh, I got a chance to really talk with her at that signing and uh, she gave me a lot of good advice. And then, and then she even, you know, like offered to read a little bit of, of the novel I was working on at that time and gave me advice on that. And so she, she helped uh, kind of guide the beginnings of my career and, uh, and you know, like introduced me to the con scene. Uh, <laughs> it took me to my first convention, and uh, so yeah, it was it was uh, that was also very impactful. That is awesome. Um, I know that special friend who dragged you to your first convention. Uh, they kind of influence everything after that. Um, so there's a change of moment. But transitioning from the writing side, what would be your funniest or weirdest fan interaction since you started writing? <laughs> um, it would it would have to be the first uh, uh, signing event that I went to. This was not at a convention. This was at uh, 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 a local bookstore, um, and you know they have they have a good strong uh, sci-fi community there, and they run their own convention and stuff. But this was just a, a signing at the bookstore when my first book came out, uh, this throne when it came out. And so you know I'd never been to a signing before or anything like that. Or and they wanted me to do a reading, so I was doing a reading as well. And uh, so I went to the bookstore and I did the reading. And of course at the end you ask if there are any questions or whatever. And uh, <laughs> someone raised their hand and they said, uh, they asked um, why my main character in the novel uh, didn't have like a pet, like a, a pet cat or a pet dog or, you know, something like that along the way. And you have to realize this, this novel, the main character is you know, this a young girl who's living in the slums, she's barely surviving, you know, she's stealing food and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so I, I was not expecting this question. Um, so this was really the first question, <laughs> first unexpected question that I'd ever had. And so without thinking about it, because I, at that point I'd done the reading, so I was in the mindset of the character, my response was because she would eat it. <laughs> she was starving. If there was a cat or a dog around, she would have eaten it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but of course, this horrified the person asking the question because the person asking the question, of course, you know, is a is a is a pet lover and, and all of this. And and she wanted this character to have, you know, a companion pet and everything. <laughs> So it kind of went downhill after I answered the question that way. <laughs> but I look back on it, you know, it's like learning experience, you know, don't just spit out what you're the hardest picturing. That's like something I would say, not something you, you're always nicer <laughs> than that. <laughs> not necessarily when the, I, I wasn't as uh, savvy with, you know, interacting with the public back then as, as I am now. And now I've had a little bit of experience and I 
kind of check my uh, my answers before I give them. <laughs> Back then, I mean, it just kind of came out. I was just like, I mean, I realized almost immediately that it was, that it was a bad idea to say that, but uh, but it was also funny because the entire audience like burst into laughter and whatnot. So, <laughs> well, at least that was a good response to it. So, can you give us a highlight reel of what you've done? What I, my body of work? Yeah. Um. Okay. The uh, first trilogy that I sold to uh, Daw Books was the uh, Throne of Amonkor trilogy. Um, so that was the Skewed Throne, Crack Throne, and Vacant Throne. Although at this point, you can buy the entire trilogy all in one gigantic uh, trade paperback called the Throne of Amonkor. And the basic premise there is that, uh, you know, this young girl is, is barely surviving in the slums and she gets trained to be an assassin. Okay, and uh, so in book in the first book, she gets trained to be the assassin, and she manages to escape the slums. And uh, and then after that, you know, the, the adventures continue in the Crack Throne and Vacant Throne. Um, so that was my first trilogy. Uh, the second trilogy uh, that I wrote started with Daw Books. Uh, it was the uh, Well series, and it started with the book uh, Well of Sorrows, and then continued with. Um, um, Leaves of Flame, and then the third book was Breath of Heaven. Um, and that one I was playing around with much more epic fantasy than the first series. Um, it, was, it was a fantasy world, but they discovered a new continent. And the book is basically a mix of settling the quote-unquote American West with a fantasy. Um, so they're, they found the new continent, they're starting to settle the continent, and uh, they run into magic and these races and uh, all this while they're settling the new continent. So, uh, so I was playing around with kind of mixing the idea of settling the American West with a fantasy setting. Um, and so that's the Well series. And then the uh, most recent trilogy from Dot Books is uh, the Lay series. Um, one of the big, big things back in the 80s was uh, Ley Lines. Um, and they showed yep. in a lot of fantasy novels, um, but they weren't necessarily uh, like the main focus of the book. They just kind of were there like trappings. Um, there, there are a few that I could name that, that actually used the lines uh, as part of the plot, but uh, most of the time it was just kind of this side like clutter on the shelf kind of thing. Um, so I said, oh, I want to write a fantasy where the ley lines are integral to the plot. So I wrote the Lay series. Uh, so it's Shattering the Lay, um, Threading the Needle, and uh, Reaping the Aurora. And uh, basically, I built my entire magic system around the ley lines. And uh, we've, we've tapped into the ley lines, and then we've augmented the ley lines um, to the point that... Uh, the Lay series is very, very modern in terms of feel. It's kind of like you're in New York City or London or whatever, except everything's being powered with ley lines instead of electricity and whatnot. Um, and so that's, it, it's the start of my uh, road down kind of modern-ish fantasy uh, in terms of feel. Um, so those are the three uh, trilogies that I have out. And then along the way, I started dabbling with editing anthologies. Um, so I edited two anthologies for Daw, uh, After Hours, uh, Tales from Beer Bar, and then uh, The Modern Phase Guide to Surviving Humanity. So I edited those two for Daw, and then uh, Daw kind of shut down their anthology line. They were doing like six or eight anthologies a year, and they trimmed it back to just like one or two. Um, so there was a big shakeup in the publishing industry and people were, were trying to cut back at that point. And uh, unfortunately, uh, they did not bring the line back after a couple of years. And um, I got bored one summer and I said, wait a small press. And uh, <laughs> so I, I had a summer where I didn't have to write a book. That, that was the problem. 
And uh, so I ended up creating, creating a small press and uh, with the Kickstarter funded our first anthology for Zombies Need Brains. And uh, so now, like I said, we've got 18 anthologies out now uh, through Zombies Need Brains. Actually, we have uh, 19. The first one's out of print. Um, so we have 18 available at the moment. And, uh, and then... Uh, and we're gonna keep going as long as I'm entertained by it, and uh, and as long as we have some uh, themed and uh, some some good themes to put out there. That sounds exciting. Um, Jay, are you there? Yeah, it sounded like you were about to say something. I didn't want to interrupt. No, I was just gonna say that sounds exciting. Okay, so while all of those sound fascinating, we are here to talk about your Kickstarter of the anthologies, because uh, we do love the short content here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. So can you tell us about this Kickstarter? Yes, the uh, current Kickstarter uh, running right now, uh, I think it has nine days left uh, on the Kickstarter, is uh, for three new themed anthologies. Uh, they're called Noir, uh, Shattering the Glass Slipper, and then Brave New Worlds. And uh, noir is basically exactly what it sounds like. It's supposed to be science fiction and fantasy, uh, noir atmosphere stories. So probably gonna be mostly mysteries and whatnot, um, but it's supposed to have that noir feel uh, to each of the individual stories. Okay, that one's gonna be edited by uh, David B. Coe and John Zakor. Uh, then we have Shattering the Glass Slipper, uh, which also is more or less what it sounds like. Uh, you're supposed to be taking uh, fairy tales here and upending them and twisting them around, uh, modernizing them, maybe even setting them in the future. Um, we uh, basically want the fairy tales turned on end, um, including uh, re uh, not really retelling the fairy tale. That's not really what we're looking for. We're, we're looking for uh, new fairy tales possibly set in a science fiction setting. Um, so we, we kind of went probably, we're shooting for about half and half, like half science fiction, half fantasy fairy tales, um, if we can get that. Um, and that is gonna be edited by uh, Crystal Siracus and uh, Rondi Salsitz. Okay, and then the third anthology is uh, Brave New Worlds. And that one is supposed to be stories set along the path of us reaching for the stars. Uh, so it could be a story set uh, during, you know, or at the beginning when we're just leaving Earth. Okay, what is the turmoil going on uh, at, on Earth uh, as we leave the stars or whatever? Uh, it could be something along the way, like um, something that happens on a generation ship or, you know, something that happens on a colony ship uh, along uh, the path to another planet. Okay, or it can be uh, set when we reach the planet. Um, when we get there, what happens? Do, do we have to terraform the planet? Do we have to, um, or when we get to the planet, do we run into some intelligent species we weren't expecting? Uh, you know, whatever, uh, anything along that path. Um, so that's Brave New Worlds. And that one's going to be edited by me and uh, SC Butler. Um, we have a couple new editors. So Rondi Salstitz and John Zakor are new editors to Zombies this year. Um, and uh, like I said, we're trying to fund this with a Kickstarter. We have actually funded. Um, we hit our 20K goal for the Kickstarter. So right now we're reaching for stretch goals. Uh, and some of the stretch goals include, you know, more stories in the anthology, uh, paying the authors more, which I'm sure the authors would love. Um, and we got a bunch of free eBooks uh, from a bunch of the anchor authors. Um, so uh, if you're interested in the Kickstarter, the, the easy URL is uh, tinyurl.com slash ZNB2021. Um, so go check it out. Uh, we got a, a bunch of great reward levels left. And another really cool thing, I think anyway, that Zombies Need Brains does is uh, once we're funded, we do an open call for submissions. So uh, any writers out there, if they have a story that fits one of our themes, uh, send it on in and we'll take a look. And uh, you might end up in one of our anthologies. Um, we usually pick uh, from the slush pile, from the open call, we usually pick 
somewhere between like seven and ten stories to go into the anthology um, so, and word count. So for these anthologies, I'm guessing they haven't been written yet other than maybe your core authors? Uh, technically, none of the stories have been written yet, um, except that I happen to know a couple of the anchors didn't wait for the Kickstarter to fund. A couple of the anchors just wrote the stories the minute the minute they got invited. Uh, so I know a couple of the stories were done, but but for the most part, I tell the the anchor authors um, to hold off on writing the story until we actually fund. Because if we don't fund, I can't pay anybody for anything. So so I, I, I try to uh, try to give them that warning ahead of time. Um, but so now, now we're funded, so uh, so everybody needs to, all of the anchors need to write their stories, and anybody that has a story they want to submit needs to get them in there, because we're going to... So, if they're listening to this, they need to get their keyboards a-clacking. Uh, yes, I sent, actually sent them out an email today uh, with a reminder that they actually have to write a story now, and it should be working, and, uh, and so, not in their email. So, can I ask... <laughs> It's th you're doing one Kickstarter, but three anthologies, right? Yes. So we does that mean all the backer gets to pick one, or is there a reward level where they get all three? The, there's a reward level where they can pick any one of the three they want, or any two of the three, and then there's a reward levels where they get all three. Okay. So yeah, you can if, if you're only interested in one of them, you have that option. So. Okay. So what is the average length of the stories? Average length of the stories? Um, the average is probably around 6,000 words. The, the guidelines for submission, uh, the guidelines say that they can go up to 7,500. Um, if you go start going above 7,500, you're, you're edging yourself down on the no without us even looking at the story. So try not to go above 7,500. But in general, the average length we end up publishing is probably about 6,000 words. So it's about 20 pages. Uh, oh, I have no idea. Um, about 250 words per page. So let's do the math. 250 uh, uh, times four gives you 1,000. So that's four pages. And uh, times six. Jar, uh, <laughs> are you watching? This is about 24 math. pages. Well, I, I, I did 300 just because some, some formatting gives you between 250 and 500 range. So. Yeah, it, it depends on your font and, and everything. So I got we a lot of 150-word essays. I can almost tell you exactly how many pages that is. <laughs> I got in trouble a lot, and so I had to practice my writing with essays. All right. So this is the part where we ask you about the covers. So you've got three of these sexy covers. Can you tell us a little bit about each cover and how you came to create them? Okay, the um, art for the covers, all of the art for um, almost all of our anthologies is uh, done by uh, Justin Adams of uh, Varia Studios. Okay, and basically I get in touch with him and see if he's available. And um, then I tell him the, the theme of the anthology Okay, and if I have a rough idea of what I'm looking for for the cover, then I'll try to uh, pass that along as well. Um, and then he usually gets back with me with some sketches of some ideas. And, you know, I kind of say, <clears throat> you know, I like this, I don't like this, can we do something like this instead, and, and whatnot. Um, so for these three anthologies, uh, the noir one, uh, he came up with most of the noir on his own. Um, and I really, really like the, 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 you know, silhouette figure and, um, and he had a different background. And I said, well, we want, it, you know, the image inside the silhouette is, uh, looks like a science fiction kind of city. Um, and I said, well, we don't want it to be all science fiction. We want to get fantasy across as well. So I said, what can you put in the background that would give a fantasy feel? And I su suggested some kind of map. And uh, so he ended up putting the map in the background. And on the Kickstarter, if you see the full image for the um, noir cover, 
the back cover is on there as well. And it's got like a, a, a little blip that's like a witch's hat and a ray gun and a fedora. And so it's got a mixture of sci-fi fantasy symbols along with noirish symbols. Um, now for Shattering the Glass Slipper, um, he was throwing out all these really wild and crazy ideas. And I was like, no, 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 you know, you gotta back off. <laughs> that That's too out there uh, for this. And so I kind of suggested, you know, it's it's called Shattering the Glass Slipper. Why don't we have a, you know, broken glass slipper on the cover? And I said, maybe, you know, kind of in the background, some other, you know, dented or, or old looking or whatever uh, fairy tale items. And uh, I threw out the, the spindle and the and apple idea. And uh, he came up with a map and I'm, I'm assuming that's like a little poison bottle or whatever. Um, and uh, so he ended up incorporating all of that to get the, uh, the image for shattering the glass slipper, um, which I think turned out very well. Now, Brave New Worlds cover, I basically gave him free reign on the Brave New Worlds. And uh, he, he sent me a bunch of sketches and this is the one that caught my attention most. And uh, he, we tweaked it based on our conversations and stuff, but uh, you know, I, I think it captures the basic idea behind Brave New Worlds very, very well. Um, but it was mostly his idea. I like them. They look good. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and these are just mock-ups. Uh, the final covers will probably be some, hopefully, better variation of this. <laughs> Wait, it's well, better than what's on the screen because I really like it. I think they're great. Uh, so, can you tell us of anybody who's going to be in these? Oh, certainly. Um, we have a, a a very good lineup of anchor authors. Um, so if people aren't aware, um, Zombies Need Brains, the way we do our anthologies is half of the anthology is with what I call anchor authors. So these are like published authors uh, that I invite to write a story to or a story for the anthology. And then the other half of the anthology uh, we get through the open call. Um, so uh, I have no idea who's going to end up in the anthology through the open call. But for the anchor authors, um, like for Noir, okay, uh, Noir, uh, like I said, it's being uh, edited by David Bico and John Zakor, and both of them are going to write a story for it. Um, but we also have uh, some um, uh, bigger names in the industry, I would say, like Ju Julie Zernada is going to be in there, Alex Bledzo, Esther Friesner. Um, we got a couple that uh, hail more from a comics perspective, like uh, uh, Justin Jordan. Uh, April Lynn Pike is going to be in it. Um, and then we have a couple authors that uh, came to our attention because they submitted to the open call uh, for a couple other anthologies, and we liked how they wrote, and so we invited them to be anchors for this one. And those are uh, Stephen Harper Pizics and and uh, Andreja Popovic. Um, so lots of really cool artists and authors for uh, noir um, for Shattering the Glass Slipper. Um, our, our, one of our anchors hails more from the uh, sort of romance comedy uh, uh, genres, but R.J. Blaine is going to write us a story. She says it's going to be a Jack and the Beanstalk story uh, upended somehow, so we'll see how that turns out. Um, Patricia Bray is going to write us a story. Uh, Jose Iriarte, uh, Alethea Contas, Cat uh, Rambo. Uh, Rondi Salsis is going to write us a story, and Rachel Tversky. Um, and then for Brave New Worlds, uh, we have, again, some uh, old uh, hat Zombies Need Brain anchors. So we have, like, J.C. Bedford. Um, Jenny Cook is going to write us one. Uh, Stephen Lay. And uh, some new people. Uh, well, I guess Chaz Brenchley isn't really new. He, he's been in a couple of our previous anthologies. Um, uh, but we have Eric Choi, who's new, uh, and Austin Habershaw wrote us a really good story for a uh, past anthology, um, and so we invited him to be an anchor for this one as well. Um, and then a couple of the others are like Juliet Kemp and Ian Fergus. Um, so, so some really good names. Uh, I know 
uh, quite a few of them have uh, have written good stories for us in the past, and that's why they got invited back uh, again for these round of anthologies. Um, so uh, I, I, I look forward to reading all of them. I want them all right now, but uh, they have until December 31st to get them to us. <laughs> so has these uh, anthologies or stories therein won any awards? Um, the... Uh, at this point, I have, would have to say that none of them have won any awards, but we have had a couple of the stories uh, shortlisted for the um, Small Press Award. Uh, in fact, I think we've had we've had two in the past that were shortlisted. Uh, so basically, they were finalists. There was and there was like seven finalists or something like that. Um, and we actually have one right now that's a finalist. We don't know if it, if they've won yet or not because they won't announce that until the uh, Capclave convention. Um, but uh, the one that's been nominated uh, that we're hoping wins is uh, by uh, Brian Hugenbrook and uh, it's called uh, Foster Child of Slow Time. And um, it, 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 I seem to, I wanna say there's, I'm missing something from the, from the title, but it's Foster Child of Slow Time and something. Um, I'd have to look it up. But uh, but yeah, we're, we're really, really hopeful uh, that that wins uh, the Small Press Award. And uh, we were very disappointed that the previous two did not win. But uh, but we are getting a little bit of attention. Um, so, you know, uh, being, being shortlisted uh, for that award is, is pretty cool all in and of itself. Yes, congratulations. So... I'm not even sure like what all of the awards are out there, to be honest. Everyone's heard of the Hugos and the Nebulas and the Dragon, but I imagine yeah. there are more. Oh, yeah. There, there's a bunch of others. Uh, if I ever get, if anything related to Zombies Need Brains ever gets, an, you know, a, a Hugo nomination or a Nebula nomination, or even a Dragon nomination, I, I'll be floored. <laughs> but you have some amazing talent in there. But Oh, yeah. My question is, are any of these going to be stories you write? No, not for this set. Um, I have written some stories for um, some of our previous anthologies, especially the ones that were uh, published by DAW. Um, for example, the, the After Hours anthology that I edited, I, I wrote the origin story for the bar. It's about a, a magical time-traveling bar. And uh, so I, I wrote the origin story where it comes from for that one. Um, and I, I will admit uh, that for some of the anthologies that Zombies has put out, I have written a short story and submitted it under a pseudonym to the open call just to see if the editor or what the other editors thought of the story. And none of my stories have made it in through the open call. So you shouldn't feel bad if you get rejected because I've been rejected by my own press. <laughs> that's, I feel like that's being a glutton for punishment. <laughs> no, but most of them we, we, I wrote the stories because we weren't getting a lot of, uh, of story submissions. And I was getting worried that, you know, we wouldn't have enough to uh, pick, uh, good stories from and so I said well I'll write something and you know if, if we don't get enough then it will it will end up using my story but but if we get enough then uh, then you know it, it, my story isn't as important as other people's stories and so uh, so yeah it, it, but it was interesting to see what the other editor you know thought of my story when they wrote their comments because they had no idea it was mine um, so I was getting honest uh, commentary on the story. <laughs> Did it help you grow as an author? Oh, of course. Pretty much all of my short stories and even uh, some of my novels have been run through like a critique group. Um, and, uh, they, you know, they, they don't pull any punches in my critique group. <laughs> well, that all can right, be good so, to have. Absolutely. Do you have any favorite? Have uh, you published... 18 anthologies. So do you have a favorite of all the anthologies you've published? Oh, that's not a fair question. It's like asking, you know, parents who their favorite child is. That, that, that's horrible. Um, <laughs> um, let me see. Well, my son knows he's my favorite child. 
<laughs> I only have one, so it makes the math easy. It makes it very, very easy. Um, I I don't know. Let me let me peruse our our table of contents here, or whatever. Not table of contents, but our our anthology list. I mean, I have I have fun doing them all. Um, I mean, the, the the one that sells the most seems to be like where the where anthology. Um, so. Are your anthologies, buying you a little bit of time here, say you didn't get in on the ground floor with the Kickstarter, can you purchase these afterwards? Oh, yeah. Um, all of them are available um, after the Kickstarter as either ebooks or uh, trade paperbacks. Um, the advantage with the Kickstarter is that I do, for the Kickstarter backers, if you get a paperback uh, reward level, then um, you get a special uh, limited edition Kickstarter version. So the so the regular anthology is that people can buy after the Kickstarter is a trade paperback, so the bigger paperback. Um, but with the Kickstarter, you're going to get a mass market sized paperback, uh, and there are, all, are only 500 printed. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So for the Kickstarter, you're getting sort of a special edition. Uh, of the anthology. Um, but after the Kickstarter, if you missed the Kickstarter, uh, if you missed any of our previous Kickstarters, yeah, you can go to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, and uh, any of the ebook platforms and uh, you'll be able to pick up the anthologies there. Yes, I love he buying my books through Barnes and Noble. I'm sorry. You know, like all good indie people are supposed to love Bezos, but I'm a Barnes and Noble girl through and through. Yeah, no, they're there. I try to get them out there so that they're available everywhere. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess in terms of favorites, uh, I would have to say that, uh, um, well, the very first one we did is kind of a favorite just because it was a total experiment. Um, and that was a Clockwork Universe uh, steampunk versus aliens. Um, so they had to be stories where aliens invaded, but it was a steampunk Earth. Um, and uh, that one was a lot of fun just because we let everybody basically go hog wild with their, with their stories on that one. Um, that one's not currently available at the moment, uh, except in the Kickstarter, I found a box in storage. So if you don't Clockwork Universe one, there's a reward level on the Kickstarter uh, where you can get our original anthology. Um, how so come it's not that, currently available? Uh, how come it's not available? Yeah. Basically, the uh, I had signed a contract for the artwork for the cover, and the contract ran out, and they uh, were charging too much to renew the contract. So I said, "Well, I'll just let it go out of print. I, I'm not going to pay that much for <laughs> for a renewal of a contract." And uh, so it went out of print because the cover I could no longer use the cover art. Um, and uh, so I don't know. It, maybe in the future, at some point. Um, we'll re-release it with a different cover, um, but right now it's not available, except through the Kickstarter if you manage to snag one of them. It, it's a limited reward level, so there's not not that many of them available, but, uh, but yeah, if you want that first one, um, I would grab that one. And I have to say I kind of like temporally out of order um, because the idea came while I was waiting at an airport, um, and, you know, I had like a three-hour layover or something stupid at the airport. And uh, while I was reading, um, I looked up and there was a telephone. Everybody remember those telephones on the walls? Um, there was a telephone <laughs> and it had a, a note stuck to it. And the note said, um, it said temporally out of order. And I laughed and said, you know, how stupid it's supposed to be temporarily out of order. But then I got to thinking, you know, what if the phone was temporally out of order? And what if you could call back to the 1950s and, you know, something like that? And, uh, and that kind of sparked the idea for the, the theme for the anthology is objects that are temporally out of order instead of temporarily out of order. And, uh, and we had some really cool ideas for that, like a temporally out of, uh, out of order uh, crock pot. Or a, or a, a temporally out-of-order synthetic nose 
a prosthetic nose. I mean, that was probably my favorite story in that anthology was the prosthetic nose that's temporally out of order. <laughs> so, so what would a temporally out of order crockpot look like? <laughs> well, it looks like a regular crockpot, except that when you put something in it to cook it, things go wrong. <laughs> Color me curious. <laughs> well, right. You're supposed to be curious. You're supposed to run out and buy the anthology. Oh. <laughs> all right, all right. Was, uh, do you have a do you have a favorite story that other than uh, from all eighteen? Do you have a favorite story? Um, from all eighteen, I couldn't even pick out a, one of the titles for one of the eights that was my favorite. <laughs> I want me to do a particular. Fair um. I don't know. I, I I tend to like the the like in the um in one of our recent releases, the When Worlds Collide anthology, for example. Um, there is a, a story where the so the theme of the anthology was supposed to be two cultures that collide for the first time. And we wanted people to, you know, kind of go a little bit nuts with that. And and the extreme <laughs> The extreme for this one was how the Fae of Savernake Forest fought the AI who ate the world. So the two cultures were the Fae fighting with basically artificial intelligence. And, and you know, that, just that concept, me personally trying to uh, sit down and figure out how to write a story for that particular concept, I don't think I could do it. But, but uh, this author pulled it off. Um, it, the author's name is uh, Jordan Chase Young, um, and he came from the slush pile. <laughs> and it, it was, uh, I mean, I was just amazed when I read this story because I was like, I can't believe somebody combined the Fae with artificial intelligence and, and pulled it off. Um, so, uh, so, you know, there, there's always, in almost every anthology, there's always a story that kind of impresses me with uh, what they have done with the theme. Um, and those are the ones that we're going to lift out of the out of the slush pile. Are the, are the ones that take the theme and don't do the obvious thing with the theme. That, that play with the theme and use the theme in a unique way. Okay. So, do you have a favorite story out of all the ones you've written for these collections? Um, well, out of all of the short stories I've written, um, out of well. Probably my favorite short story that I've written is Cocoon, um, but unfortunately it didn't get into any of the anthologies. I, I kind of wrote Cocoon for um, the modern phase guide to surviving humanity, um, and uh, but we had enough stories for that one that it didn't make it into the uh, anthology. Um, but uh, but the idea is is that what if uh, so this little girl finds this cocoon. And, um, you know, of course, they automatically assume it's some kind of butterfly or whatever. What hatches out of the cocoon is actually a fairy. And, uh, and then the, the fairy ends up helping the little girl uh, deal with a, a horrible situation. And, uh, and it's, it's, I was impressed with uh, my own writing in that. Like when I finished it, I was like, I can't believe I wrote that. Um, and uh, it's available. You can get it uh, get it through ebook uh, sources. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, it didn't make it into one of the anthologies. But that that's probably my current favorite short story that I've written. Okay, so when you write your stories, short stories, long stories, whatever, when you write, do you like to write aliens and fantastic creatures? Oh yeah, that's one of the. One of the things I like to do, although if you read my fantasies, I don't tend to have a lot of, uh, of uh, sort of out of this world creatures in them. But uh, for example, for the Well series though, I wrote what I thought were really creepy shadow creatures um, and really vicious actually shadow creatures. And uh, so, so we definitely call them monsters. Um, and they're they're one of the uh, significant bad guys in that particular series, um, and uh, and then you find out as the series goes along, you kind of find out how they were uh, how they came about, uh, and and the main character is kind of headed down that road, 
so uh, so it, so yeah, I, I love coming up with um, different fantasy creatures. I, I tend not to use like dragons and unicorns and stuff in my stories. I, I tend to use uh, creatures that I have made up that have basically a fantasy basis to them. Okay. Awesome. So when you go about writing them, what what inspires you? Is it nightmares? Too much tickets to ride? <laughs> um, well, some of it comes about because of uh, like the setting for the particular story. Um, so for the shadow creatures, I had uh, all of my <clears throat> characters uh, at the edge of this like dark forest. And so I, I was like, okay, what, what's going to live in this dark forest? And uh, it seemed appropriate that the dark forest would be inhabited by these shadow creatures. And then I had another uh, sort of good creature um, that was based off of uh, Will-O-The-Wisps. Uh, so I made my Will-O-The-Wisps uh, good instead of bad, as they are in some stories. Um, so, uh, so that was a setting thing. Um, also in the... Uh, in the well series, I um, had a city that was kind of ruined and, and destroyed in the middle of a desert. And so for that, I had kind of lizard-like creatures or whatever, because that fit the desert setting. Um, so kind of they kind of created out of uh, whatever the setting is for that particular uh, novel or story. All right. So clearly uh, we're, we're winding this down, we're at the hour mark, but was there anything about your Kickstarter you wanted to tell us before we wrap this up? Um, just, you know, go support it. We are a small press. Uh, this is essentially where we get all of our funding from. Uh, so even though we have funded, uh, the funding level is kind of the minimum that we need in order to produce, you know, really good anthologies. Uh, so uh, any support that you can throw at us uh, for the Kickstarter would be appreciated. Um, it's basically, if you want all three in ebook, it's only fifteen dollars. Uh, if you want all of them in that limited edition Kickstarter version, uh, so the smaller paperback, that's only forty-eight dollars for all three. Um, so basically, uh, because we are funded, you're basically just pre-ordering the books now. Um, and uh, like I said, we got a ton of really, really good um, reward levels still left. Like there's a, a couple Tuckerizations left, so you could have your name in one of the and one of the stories in the anthologies. Um, we got a bunch of signed books, like David B. Coe, I know, is a big uh, uh, Dragon Con regular, and uh, he's got a bunch of reward levels where you can get signed books from him. Um, but uh, a, a lot of good options left. And uh, take a look at the stretch goals. Um, some really, really good free ebooks if we hit certain stretch goals in the Kickstarter. Um, so check it out. Uh, again, it's at tinyurl.com slash ZNB2021. And if you're a writer, write us a story and send it in. Okay. All right. So you can find us at um, our, well, you know what? First, we got to ask you where we can find you. Josh, uh. um, you can find uh, me, my personal webpage at joshuapalmatier.com. Uh, you can find Zombies Need Brains at uh, zombiesneedbrains.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just search for Zombies Need Brains on Facebook, and uh, the page should pop right up. Uh, for me on Facebook, it's Joshua B. Palmatier. Uh, so use the middle initial uh, B. And uh, on Twitter, it's ZNBLLC uh, for Zombies Need Brains. And then my handle is Ben Tate Author, uh, which is a long story. But it's Ben Tate Author on Twitter. Um, and we also have a Patreon page. If you're a big Patreon fan, um, then uh, check us out on Patreon. Uh, you can support the small press that way as well. Okay. Well, now, dear listener, I will tell you how you can find us. So you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tackling tackling blades. 
You can find us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters at gmail.com. Again, that's blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen. Facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. And you could support the show uh, for a one-time donation over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Uh, I promise when you put in the show notes or the comment section that it's for the um, anthology, huh, that it's for the podcast, that I will keep my co-host Nick Garber and Doc Sester duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Uh, this is because I muted her because of the echo. Uh, she would normally tell you never quit, never surrender. Uh, and you can also support us on a monthly recurring basis at anchor.fm backslash blasters for Gantech Blades. All right, Doc, now I'm going to unmute you and see if that echo is better. You can bring us home. All right, Doc, we got the sound of silence from you. I did not mute you this time. Oops. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you for coming and spending some of your precious time with us. Be sure to check out the Zombies Mean Brains Kickstarter. They are very good books. For the overworked comic artist, Nick Garber, J.R. Handley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Plays podcast. We'll be back next time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom, and seeing if I still have a voice left after Dragon Con. <laughs>